uh, good morning, Foundation. It is wonderful to be with you. It's, um, it's a real treat. And in fact, it's just up the road, really, from us. We, um, we're about five minutes off the M4, and so are you, so it's, it's nothing at all. Um, it, it really is great to be with you. It feels like being with family coming here, so thank you for having me. And thank you for your prayers as well. We, as a church, we, kinda, we keep growing, but the building doesn't grow with us. So we, um, so we need to do something there. So thank you so much for that. Um, and before I start, I just, uh, I'd love to kind of affirm, not in my official sermon time, um, but love to, don't take that away from me, I'd love to just affirm you guys for, for giving Owen um, a sabbatical. It, it really is such a, a wonderful thing, and, uh, and it may seem like an odd thing for a church to say, well, have, have this month off, but I, I promise you it will be a rewarding thing for you as a church. I had a sabbatical some five or six years ago, and, and in fact, someone raised it in our church this morning and just said, oh, that was really good. Um, not so much the fact that I wasn't there, but, but the fact that they felt that the, the church was blessed, firstly, by me being away, but secondly, coming back with renewed vigor and zeal and faith and ideas. It's, it's a good thing, so you will be rewarded as a church for it. God bless you in that. Well, we're going to read in a few moments from Luke chapter 14. And, and I want to talk particularly about how the grace of God changes our lives. There are some experiences, aren't there, that just kind of change the course of your life. You can probably think back through the course of your days and think of a number of experiences without which your life would have looked very, very different. I can remember at the age of 10 being taken by a friend to a, a, a very well-known Midlands football club to watch a game there. And my life has never been the same again. I have been stuck with an unfortunate allegiance to a pretty bad club for the rest of my days. I won't tell you who it is. You can probably guess. Um, but, but certain experiences change us. For some of you, negative experiences in your past have altered the course of your life. For some, there have been highs and lows that have um, changed the journey of your life. And one of the things that, that changes us maybe more than anything else is when you get the grace of God in a deeply personal, intimate kind of way. Because the reality is this, you can read the Bible and not get the grace of God. People have done that for years. You can go to church and not get the grace of God. But when God's grace really gets into you and gets a hold of you, it starts a kind of revolution in your life, turns things upside down. The course of your life goes in a very different direction. And, and I think one of the, the images that the Bible uses regularly for the grace of God and our encounter with it is that of a feast all the way through. So even in the Garden of Eden, God creates Adam and Eve. And he, what does he do? He gives them a garden full of lavish food and says, go enjoy. You, you go through to Israel, and you see them walking into the promised land and getting this lavish feast. And yet, it's never really about the food. It's about the God who is with them. David got that. Denise, Psalm um, 24, he, he, he says, um, 23, he says uh, that, that you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Surely my cup overflows with what? Well, goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. David says, Lord, following you and trusting in you is like a feast where you're just pouring grace that I never could ever dream of deserving into my life. 
And when that gets a hold of you, it changes who you are. And it overflows through you. We, a few, I was going to say a few years ago. Do you know, I've been married um, for, I will have been married for 19 years this year. Some of you, I know you're thinking, how can that be possible? You don't look remotely old enough for that. Well, 19 years ago, we got married. And it's an awkward thing, isn't it, drawing up a guest list. for If you've ever been involved in that sort of thing, it's difficult. The politics of who do you invite, who don't you invite, is really difficult. And then on the day, if someone turns up who has misread the invitation and turned up to the wrong bit, I mean, that's just, it's painful, isn't it? Really, if you've ever turned up to the wrong bit, like you misread the small print and you've only been invited to the evening and you turn up to the feast, it's really difficult. And we had two people turn up to our, um, our wedding breakfast for the food who weren't on the list. Um, and we tried to kind of paper over it and pretend they were, and managed to squeeze like a table by the door where they sort of stood on the end of things. And, but they got food, and it was all okay, I think. But one of the pictures Jesus uses for how we come into the grace of God is that of a feast. And here's where we're going. Jesus is out for food at the house of a well-to-do ruler of the Pharisees. And, and here's what I want us to get more than anything else. Jesus wants those who trust in him to know this. That to be invited to the table of God is not to be given a seat by the door. It's to be brought to the very front. It's to be sat at the high table in the very presence of the king to enjoy him and all that he gives to you. So here we go. Uh, Luke chapter 14. If you've got a Bible in front of you, it would be really helpful to have it open. Luke chapter 14. I'm going to read from verse 7. Now, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will say, um, will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your, your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, and then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. And so here's the context. Jesus is out for food. He's been invited to the house of a Pharisee, one of the religious rulers of Jesus' day. Very important people, very wealthy people. But you get the idea that Jesus has been invited to the house to get caught out. They want to trick him. It's like a, a snare rather than a welcoming dinner. And immediately... As you glimpse back a few verses, you see there's someone at the meal besides Jesus who shouldn't be there. Have a look at verse 2. Behold, there was a, a man before him who had dropsy, extreme swelling. And he's not really a guest. He doesn't get to stay for the food. He gets kind of sent home pretty early on. And he stands out a bit like a, a sore thumb, really. They've invited him because it's the Sabbath. And they want to see what Jesus is going to do with him. You probably know for the Pharisees, to do anything like healing someone on the Sabbath, the day of rest, was against the law. Frowned upon. 
And they want to see what Jesus is going to do here. And so even before the story really gets going, there's this kind of underlying tension between their religiousness and Jesus' graciousness. What's going to win? And the whole dinner party just seems to be kind of looking down at this, this guy who's ill. I mean, it's, it's the most unthinkable situation, right? We, we, don't, we can't get our heads around it. He's there, and they're just using him as a ploy, ignorant of his suffering and his sorrows and his difficulties. And, and I think that's what religiousness can do. It can cause people to look down on others and lift themselves up. And Jesus is going to be horrified by what's going on here. In, in fact, they've invited this guy into a trap. What Jesus is going to say is this, guys, don't you get, there is an incredible invitation that has been given to you. And at the moment, you're just ignorant of it. And, and Jesus approaches it in a really quite a bizarre way. I mean, what's going to follow, and what we just read, is a little bit like a YouTube channel called Life Hacks with Jesus. It, it reads in a, a really strange way. Jesus seems to be giving good dinner party hosting advice for the people he's out for dinner with. I don't know if you saw verse 7. I love this. Jesus is watching people at the meal. I love the fact that people watching existed in the first century, and Jesus was a people watcher. I feel that kind of affirms me in my lifelong hobby of watching people and what they do. And he sees them, verse 7, choosing their seats really carefully. There's this kind of delicate social etiquette. And some of them are kind of sizing one another up, and they're kind of looking at each other, and, and, and they're kind of figuring out, well, I'm more important than you, so I'm going to sit here, but you're probably more important than me, so we'll just kind of arrange ourselves in that kind of order, and, and they're just doing it really carefully. Jesus is just watching them in dismay. And as people are wondering, where do I fit in on the scale of importance? How much does the host of this dinner party value me? How much do I matter to him? Do I get to sit with him or am I somewhere down near the bottom? That, that's what they're wrestling with. And, and it's like Jesus tells this little parable to say, hang on. If you're invited to a wedding feast, don't put yourself really high because you may get asked to, get to step down. Put yourself really low. And then what's the worst that's going to happen? Well, you stay there. What's the best that's going to ha happen? You get invited to come to the front. I mean, that's going to look really good. Everyone's going to be like, whoa, who's this guy who gets brought to the front of the feast and gets to sit in the good seats? But here's the thing. And this is where I say it just seems a little bit bizarre. Why is Jesus giving life hacks for hosting good dinner parties? Why is he telling them, well, this is how you should choose your... Here's the point. I don't know if you noticed this, but it's titled a parable. Jesus told a parable. In other words, it's not instructions. This isn't good advice for how to behave properly at a dinner party. It's telling us something about something else. That's what a parable literally does. And it's telling us and them this. That with God, there's no pecking order. There's, there's no sense in which I get to say I'm more deserving of God's favor than anyone else. 
because that's exactly what the Pharisees thought. That's why they're aligning themselves carefully in, in these positions. Some of them are putting themselves at the top because they think they're more righteous. They're closer to God. God loves them more. His favor's more on them. They get to sit the front. Jesus is like, whoa there. No. There's no pecking order with God. He doesn't care about our petty scales, our ladders, our systems of weighing one another up, as we so naturally do as human beings, don't we? You watch any kind of big showbiz gala, and you see that the most important A-listers are on the tables by the cameras at the front. The people that you, don't, you can't really remember the names of are, are at the back. And we do it naturally in our own lives as well. We weigh one another up. We figure out who's the most important, who matters the most, who is the most valuable. Jesus isn't impressed by their claims to the good seats. And he's not impressed by our learning, our religion, how well we know the Bible. He's not impressed by our outward appearance. It's all nothing. And so he pleads with these status-aware Pharisees in verse 11. He says that everyone who exalts themselves, well, they'll be humbled. What's he saying? What's the point of the parable? Well, Jesus is saying in life, anyone who really thinks he is someone, who, who measures him out, himself up against other people and says, yes, I've made it, I'm more important than them, more righteous than them, more loved by God than them. I'm more important in the eyes of God than that person who builds their fragile system of self-importance and never comes to terms with their own innate sinfulness and smallness in the big picture of who God is and what he's like. Jesus says one day that person's going to stand before a judgment seat. And in that place there'll be no pride. And so he says to them, plead with them, so humble yourselves today. Stop jostling for the best seat on the Titanic, in other words. And, well, here's the great news. And this is kind of where the whole thing is, is gunning towards. Jesus is saying, you are welcome at my table. And it, that's the story of the Bible, beginning to end. God invites those who could never be worthy of the feast to take the best position. Jesus is telling them, guys, you're wrestling for the best position. You've already got it. And what liberty is there in that? For us as Christians, we have been liberated from the need to get God's attention, to impress him, to show him that we're good enough. We've been freed from that. And that's what Jesus is trying to get across. You've already been invited. Now, he, he then comes on to the second life hack. And this seems equally bizarre. Look at this, verse 12. He also said to the man who had invited him. I mean, only Jesus gets to give advice to the host, right? Don't do that. Get invited to a party. You don't give advice to the person who's invited you. Well, he says to the man who'd invited him. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just." Now, I just want you to see how absolutely 
countercultural what Jesus is saying here is. Jesus is saying, don't invite, and then he gives this little list of people who we would normally invite to a party. I don't know how you go up drawing a, a list of who you're going to invite to your house for dinner. But probably, if you're anything like me, you go for people you actually know. And people you actually like. And people you think you're actually going to have a nice time with. I'm pretty sure most, some of you are holier than me and, uh, and more loving than me. But for most of us, we don't think, now, who don't I like? Let's get them on the list. And that's exactly what Jesus tells these people to do. And Jesus is using a, a kind of hyperbole. He's not saying, don't invite your friends or family for dinner. So some of you maybe are thinking, I don't have to invite my family for dinner? That's a great thing. That's not really his point. What he means is you, you don't need to be told to invite the people you like for dinner. It kind of just happens. He says, no, invite the people who've got nothing to offer you. Kind of like the guy who they invited and then sent away. The sick guy. When you give a feast, Jesus says, invite the poor, the lame, the blind. It is so countercultural. Because generally we do just invite the people we like, or people like us, or people we want to impress. And I mean, here's just how countercultural it was for the people Jesus is speaking to. They're the Pharisees. The Pharisees um, believed that if you were poor or lame or blind, those very characteristics Jesus had mentioned, that it was because of something you or your parents had done. You were a sinner. You, by default, had a lesser status than them. Jesus is saying, well, you need to invite them to your house. They're not less than you. The second thing is this. The, the, the Pharisees saw their dinner table as almost like a representation of the altar in the temple. You know, the Jews would come to sacrifice in this mighty temple that, that they believed God's presence was there. The glory of God dwelt at the high altar in the temple. And the Pharisees treated their dinner table a bit like that. It was a holy place. In fact, the, the Pharisees believed that even if a Gentile shadow fell across one of their plates, in the, say in the marketplace, it was unclean. And it had to be ritually made pure. So for the Pharisees, who they invite is a big deal. No ragamuffin outsiders are allowed at their table. They're going to make it impure. And they're going to make them impure. They don't measure up. You see, what's kind of fundamental, what's key to this is the issue of righteousness. The Pharisees look at themselves and they're like, we're the good guys. We're righteous. We've kept the rules. These guys are not. In fact, they come to our house, they're going to be making us unrighteous. And here's what Jesus wants them to get. He wants them to know that if they really got what God was like, I mean, if they really understood the heart of God, his grace towards them, the way that he just lavishes goodness upon people who are unworthy, then they're going to be sharing their table, their wealth, their life with anyone and everyone. And here's the issue for them, and I suppose for us. It is a risky and costly business. Because here's the reality of the situation. Most of us 
are going to avoid asking people to our house for food who we don't trust, who we don't know. You can imagine these Pharisees coming back to Jesus, but, 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 this guy's a beggar. What if he steals our stuff? This guy's ill. What if we catch something? You can imagine it, can't you? And what I love about this whole episode is that there is a third parable. And it's called the parable of the great banquet. And it comes in verse 15. In verse 15, one of those who's at the table with them heard these things. And he says to, 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 to him, to Jesus, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says a parable. Verse 16, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. It's the story of God. How God invites many people to his table to feast on his grace and his mercy. It's that picture of all of scripture again. Because the Bible ends with a feast. You get to the very end of the book of Revelation, chapter 19. There is a party being thrown. And the honored guest is who? It's the church. Christ throws this lavish banquet for those that he loves. The whole story ends there. And so Jesus is just giving a glimpse of that in this parable. And here's the sum total of what he has to say. He invites many. It's an open to all invitation to feast with Jesus forever at the final and greatest party. And what Jesus is saying is this to us, you're invited. Heaven, the church, God's purposes and favor is not for the smart and the respectable and the holy and the self-righteous. It's for the messy and the broken and the poor and the crippled, the blind, the lame, as Jesus says. Now, what, what I love, here's the climax. As Jesus tells this parable, here's how it carries on in verse 17. And at, that at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who'd been invited, come, for everything is now ready. The party's ready to go. Come, the people that are invited. But there's a strange thing happened. Verse 18, they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've just bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I need to go and examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. And so, here's the climax. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Wow. I mean, Jesus is just kind of laying it all bare before these Pharisees. He's saying, look, guys, you've been invited. And I can tell you've rejected the invitation. Why? Because if you get the grace of God, it changes your life. It floors you and humbles you and makes you realize God has loved you with a kind of love that is unquantifiable. That you can't barter with, that you can't come to him and say, Lord, I, I think I've deserved your love because I've kept these laws. It doesn't work like that. It's infinitely bigger than our capacity to ever dream of earning. 
And that is good news for you and I today. The love that flows to you from heaven's banqueting table is a love that is unstemmed, unstoppable, and unquantifiable. <laughs> and one of the things that just most grabs me about these verses is the fact that the Pharisees are reluctant to invite anyone. I mean, they don't want anyone at their party who isn't like them. Jesus says, when you host a party, these are the guys you've got to invite. The blind, the lame, the poor, the crippled. And then Jesus tells a parable about God's banquet and says, these are the kinds of people he's going to invite. The blind, the lame, the poor, the crippled. But I don't know if you got this in verse 21. Did you see how God goes about getting people to his party? Have you noticed this? He doesn't just invite them. He, he doesn't just say, okay, come to my party. I don't think you, you saw this, but this is glorious. He tells his servant, go to the streets and bring in the poor. Like literally carry these people into my feast. And this is the picture of God's lavish grace towards his people. Where the Pharisees are like, man, you can come to the party, but only as a trap for Jesus. God's plan is, you're invited and I'm going to bring you there. I am going to get you to the feast. They're not just invited. They're physically carried in. If anyone in this room this afternoon is in any doubts as to the fullness of God's love towards you, just glimpse the reality of Jesus' words. And he has promised. You believe in him, he's going to see you to the end. He's going to carry you through to that final day where you stand before him, captivated by this gracious love for all eternity. He's going to get you there. Well, time is running out, um, as it always seems to do, and you may kind of wonder, what is this passage doing here? I mean, why does Jesus say this? What's the point? Is it a rebuke to the Pharisees? Is that the point? Is it a telling off for them? Is it a kind of, well, you had your chance, you were invited, but you've blown it now. We're going to move on to other people. Is that the point? I don't think so. What they're going to be most captivated, horrified by is this, the emphasis, the shocking emphasis is that the king's royal banquet is open to people who sleep in hedges. Verse 23, the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. God's going to fill his house with people who sleep in hedges. That's the image. And it's glorious. That's the, the whole point. First, the poor and the lame and the blind are carried in. And the Pharisees' jaws hit the floor at the implication of that. But there's still room in the house of the king. If you're in any doubt as to the graciousness of God. If there's anything in your life that you're tempted to say, that rules me out. I've got an invite, but maybe it's less than Dave over here. Oh man, this is God's glorious invitation. It's to all. It's to those who are considered the lowest of the low in their society. 
And it's to those who in their own hearts today consider themselves beyond God's grace. You are the very people that his heart reaches. I'm so glad the kids are excited by God's grace as well, aren't you? Isn't that great? Love to hear that. But, it, but here's the point. Here's where it comes to it. The Pharisees presume that God is at very best apathetic towards the unworthy. <laughs> Jesus says, man, this is God's heart. They find that he's compelling the unworthy to himself. He's striving after them, pursuing them, carrying the one that cannot walk. Yeah, someone once said, um, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Paul said that. But someone else carried on with the quote. And he said, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The harlot, the murderer, and the liar are short of it. But so are you. Perhaps they stand at the bottom of a mine, and you are on the crest of an alp. But you are as little able to touch the stars as they are. You see, the Pharisees, here's the problem, with their delicate systems of measuring themselves up against one another are being shown that their righteousness is but filthy rags. They're being shown that they consider themselves worthy to come into the presence of God. Man, it was never about that. It was always his gracious invitation to those who could never deserve it. And, and I mean, here's what Jesus is really showing them, that they are worse than the beggar who they were sneering at. Because they've deemed themselves overqualified and have rejected the invitation of God to the Lamb's Feast. Well, as the three parables come to an end, we're left with this distinct impression that every time God's people gather together, it should be a celebration of God's grace. That's one of the biggest issues here. Jesus looks at the God, those who call themselves God's people, and it's like, man, you don't get God's grace. So you're celebrating yourselves and your own righteousness, not what God has done. Friends, whenever Christians gather together, it's supposed to be a glimpse of that great feast ahead of us. That's where Jesus ends up. That's why he ends up with this great feast in eternity. It's almost like a rebuke. Man, you're together and you're missing the point. I want to finish. But what I want us to see more than anything else this morning is this. We are standing in inestimable favor. And it's so easy to miss the point. Oh, it's so easy to be the church and forget what it means to be the church. Oh, it's so easy to come along and just kind of be with one another, and it's lovely on a Sunday, but missing the point. We are standing in inestimable favor. You have received an invitation from the very heart of God to feast not on what he does or what he gives, but to feast on him for all eternity. In fact, in a few moments... We're going to share the symbols that remind us of just that fact. The body and blood of Christ. We feast by faith on him. And we will forever. I wonder what pressures, what distractions, 
What temptations in your life right now are causing you to be tempted to miss the point? To miss the invitation? To skimp on the feast that he's giving you so you can max out on the fast food that's just going to leave you feeling heavy and greasy. It's going to leave you with that taste in your mouth that's just salty. No, God invites us to the ultimate feast that really fills our hearts with him. See, the chapter is less about who do you invite to your house for dinner. That's important. But it's more about how when people feast on God, they become a people who share their lives and share Christ with others. Um, I, I, I'm going to finish with this, I promise. My church gets used to me saying, I'm going to finish, and then three hours later, I'm still droning on. Tim Keller said this, and I just love this quote. He said, primarily people get loved towards belief. They don't get argued towards belief. Oh, and that's what, exactly what Jesus is showing these people. The church is to a, be a place where the lavish feast of God is on display and people discover they are loved. They discover wherever they think they stand on the hierarchy in the human systems of weighing one another up here, they matter. Because here they are on the list. Here they are invited to the top table. We're just going to respond. I wonder if you just bow your heads with me for a moment. Don't miss the invitation. Those are the words for you this afternoon. Don't miss the invitation. Uh, and I just, for, for some, I really get the strong impression that for some of you, you're Christians. You, you, you know the Lord. You trust that one day you're going to stand before him in eternity. And that's so true. And yet, it's just like you're waiting. You know that day is going to be a feast and you're just waiting for it. And yet somehow you're missing the feast today. You're missing that he prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. You're missing that goodness and mercy follows you all the days of your life. And today, today, he wants you to feast on him. He wants you to find that your heart was designed to enjoy him forever. To you today. Don't miss the invitation. And to others, I, I just I feel that to some this afternoon, you, you're still you're, you're just locked into this system of of where you fit. How do you measure up? Even here, you're like, oh man, I, I feel that I don't really matter here. You just can't help it. And to some, you're looking at other people and you're just wishing, oh, I wish I was like them. For some of you, your, your past, your experiences are, are feeding into that. They're just convincing you today you don't matter. And I believe Jesus wants you to know today that 
He carries you to the top table. Not because you're worthy, but because you are loved. Our Father, we just thank you that this afternoon we have such good news. Good news of a hope that is unparalleled. Good news that we stand in favor that is inestimable. And I just pray that for each one of us here, you would cause us not to miss the invitation. Not to just wait on the fact that one day we will enjoy you forever, but today to feast on your lavish grace. Thank you that I can say for myself, I was the guy in the hedge. I was the, the one who was far from you. And you carried me into your presence. I could never earn it or deserve it, but you loved me still. Lord, we just bless you for love like this. In Jesus' name, amen.